There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I appreciate you joining me here today. Today, I welcome the CEO, Javier Vasquez of Miguel's Junior Restaurants. We go over what it's like to run a family-owned business for 50 years, all the, the lessons learned along the way, building an advisory board. I think this episode is full of so many great nuggets. Get ready. It's a great ride. Thanks for joining me again. Let's jump right into it. All right. Javier, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I'm so excited that we're able to connect and, and get you on the show. I really appreciate you taking time to meet with me. I probably think the opportunity. Of course. So maybe we start off with a little bit of background on yourself. How did you get into the restaurant industry? I was born into it. My parents started Miguel's in 1973. I was born in 1974. So my parents, you know, as a small business owners, they didn't have the luxury of having sitters and that not so they had my brothers uh, other brothers and sisters and myself and customers so i was you know there's customers tell me stories where they would take care of me while my mom was uh, working in the front of the restaurant and my mom would always tell me she uh had my bassinet underneath the cash register that's not nice. good numbers but um so i started off at 11 and then oh sorry you know born did but my first job at the restaurant was i was 11 years old and then my uh, my my parents my young, my oldest my oldest sibling started at nine years old. My mom said I deserve a little break, so my dad's eleven. <laughs> I love that they have it. So you know, it's 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 my DNA. So I've I uh, really just you know in their blood. So it's all I've done most of my yeah. adult life. Yeah, my I actually. I uh, work with my dad. I own a family-owned business as well, and we started back in 2015. And we're a food service brokerage company, and we're based here in Southern California, Northern California, and Nevada. So I understand working in a family-owned business environment and the pros and cons of it. Uh, you know, how has your experience been working with family? Well, you know, there's. I, was, I had a conversation yesterday, and uh, it was interesting. Is that Sometimes it's it's good. Sometimes it's difficult. Right. Sometimes it's great. But you know you work a lot. So when it comes to you know tr- traditional holidays, uh, family holidays, or traditional things like oh, I see each other again. So you know it it, it works out for us. Uh, each of us have our own discipline right. where we work in. So we're not all in, you know all over each other in one restaurant. And so we we're able to, we're able to uh, do our own areas of influence and work together. And you know we 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 formed a company organization. I'm CEO of the company, and my sisters are vice president. So you know we we applied more corporate structure to how we how we right. grew the business, and that's been cool also. And we have you know we have weekly monthly meetings as a family, and you know those kind of things. And so we try to communicate as much as possible. Uh, but like this week, we're celebrating my mom's 80th birthday. She's still active in the business. So congratulations. Um, so she's you know she still does recipe development for us. Um, and those kind of things. My dad's my dad's passed a couple years ago, but oh, he, he was uh, you know he wasn't, wasn't very healthy towards the end of his life, but he was very active in the business also. Yeah, 
how does your day-to-day role in the business look from your siblings? I think you mentioned you had three other siblings. We, we I mean day so just uh, I'm the CEO of the company. Yeah. My brother oversees uh he's he was in director of operations for many years and then he decided to transition to um oversee new development and construction of new restaurants. Uh, my sister Sylvia, we're a commissary model, uh, or central kitchen model. Okay. So we uh, centralize most of our, pro- our food production. She oversees that facility, and unless Carol, she works in the, um, the accounting department. Okay, nice, nice. So you started in the business when you were eleven, and what were some of the initial things you did, and then how did you get from that point to where you are here today? Well, 11, so my dad was a, a, a believer in having do, doing it, starting from the bottom. So my first mm-hmm. job was a dishwasher. Yep. And I became, a, I was a store manager when I was 14, by just by, not by choice, just by coincidence. And uh, my first job and was 14. And then my parents were always believers of education. So when they opened Miguel's, they didn't really open Miguel's. Their intention wasn't to have a chain of restaurants. Their intention was to put us to college. That, that was their right. goal. So they, they did that. Um, and so when I, I graduated from USC, they were expecting me to go work for someone else, do something different. And I, I chose to come back to the family business, which, which created some anxiety for my mom, but she was fine with it now. Because really, my dad's like, what I do with, with I only have six restaurants, I have four kids now. How do I, how do I manage all this? And I said, well, all we do is grow. So we decided to grow the business. So because when that, I graduated, they they basically said we're, we're you know we don't need to grow a business anymore we have enough and we're right. fine you know and accomplish what we set out to do is put the kids to college so that, that's what uh, but I, I felt that when I graduated you know they had a great business that a lot of family a lot of fans raving fans great business and I thought to myself why would I go work for someone else to do the same thing for another company if I can do the same thing for my own family mm-hmm. so that's why I decided to come yeah back. totally. So at 14, you became uh, the store manager. What was that like at 14 years of age? Uh, it was, you know, it was interesting. Um, it's difficult at first because, you know, 14, I was a tall kid, so it helped a little bit. But it was, it was just, a, it was just, a, it was just a summertime, so it was only three months. And um, okay, as people, you know, the first of the, the, the employees didn't really listen to me because I was a 14 year old kid. Mm-hmm. And so my dad had come and, you know, how to help how, how me reinforce some of the rules he wanted done. So, you know, and so back then it was a little different than now. You can, you can, you know, be a little different with employees. So, um, and that helped a little bit. And, you know, I had the best toys in the block, I'll tell you that. Yeah. I, I think, I, I, I want to say dollar an hour, I, I don't know. It was a, a number, it was a, enough where I would, you know, he would, he, would, he required me to save half of it. And mm-hmm. I, could spend, I could spend half of it, so I would go spend half of it on toys and whatnot. So that kind of thing. So by the time school started, I had the best toys and best toy collection around because that's how I did my money: is half of it was savings and half of it was uh, with uh, toys. So throughout high school, I still worked in different capacities, uh, but my my parents really wanted me to want all of us to it, education was a priority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My father, he somewhat similar, him and his brother, when they were, I believe, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there, they got their first job working at Bell's Christian Meats, which is which was in Huntington Beach. And it, it's no longer there, but it was a meat market. And mm-hmm. so him and my dad and his brother 
worked in that meat market all the way. I believe probably started in junior high school through high school. And from there, my dad branched off and worked, went to Cisco. And uh, my, my uncle went on to open up other meat markets throughout Orange County. And I, you know, they definitely, between the two of them, the value of, of hard work. I mean, they are both, both very dedicated to what they do, very hardworking. And I, I think that those lessons that they've learned through their career and through their lives definitely pours into me as a millennial, you know, in the workforce for about eight years now. So it's pretty cool to see. You know, things change and things evolve, but your roots are the same. The foundation always helps you, you know, make decisions moving forward. I love that experience that you had to, I know you, at 14, being a store manager and managing others, what was maybe like an early lesson that you learned from doing that? I, I think, uh, you know, even to this day, if you explain to the reason why you want something done, that's more helpful than just telling them to do it and those kind of things. And then being respectful of, of just their time also. So scheduling mm-hmm. the and that kind of thing, you know, running a, that was our, our at that time it was the busiest drive through we had. So running a busy restaurant is e- actually easier than running a slow restaurant because you have volume of people you can you can schedule right. people. But it, it was it was interesting because customers would would, would uh, ask the manager and I'll say I'm the manager like okay we're like look at me a kid kids where's the manager I'm like I'm right here how can I help yeah. you once <laughs> you know it, it's it's a little shocking but it was and then some people actually thought it was cool to see that it was like hey cool hey dad's giving you an opportunity and, oh, I'm just here for summertime that's it. Mm-hmm. We, had lot, we had a lot of customers so they knew they knew exactly who we were my dad was and like that. So you know, uh, just just customer service. You know, he he always built. He wasn't much of a service person. You know, mm-hmm. Frank. He was more of a great food and fast. And if you happen to smile, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah. So he was just built on speed, and that's what you know, kind of ingrained in us in a, in a, in a drive-through environment. Uh, we're 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 fast. Right. And most of our competitors, not not before the pandemic, a lot of our competitors. Um, they were their volume of drive through was fifty percent or less. We've seventy mm-hmm. percent for years. I, I thought seventy percent was like slow until I thought looking to other competitors like, oh, that they're at sixty, fifty, and or we're at seventy, seventy five. So anyway, so that that taught me, you know, friendly, you gotta be quick, fast because your interaction with customers are pretty brief, and then right. employees to, to do that and, and whatnot and uh, create a culture that they want to be in and have fun. And this kind of thing. So that, that still resonates now. I mean, now it's even more so than any time is having a culture that people want to enjoy, expand themselves. We, we, we've grown our business, so we have a lot of long-time employees that work for us, uh, but we're still consistent with the food and, and our, and our speed of service. I, I'm very, very familiar with your concept. My mom lives right across the street from your Tessa Marketplace location and just ate there a few okay. weeks ago. And and been to your location there on, was it Newport and 17th? I think yeah. it, the, the city is Costa Mesa, or maybe it's technically Newport, but Costa Mesa, yeah. uh, yep. So very familiar with your concepts at the time when you started, when you're 14. How many units or how many locations were there? We had, uh, I want to say we had two, four. Yeah, we had four. Um, so that's why my dad was my dad. The, the my dad needed help because he was opening another restaurant, so he needed help. We're in, my, my, we're in our best restaurant, so he's like, "I need you here. I can't." You know, my magic left, you know, left him high and dry, quit, and you know, so he's like, "I have nowhere to turn to. I need, I need some help here." Right. So I did it for a period of time. To, that way, 
my brother graduated from college and he was coming back from college. So he had to haul the ship down before he, he took over. He came back. What is the dynamic like working with your siblings? I've seen, I met other entrepreneurs or other uh, business owners who, you know, maybe the parents started or a parent started and then the kids came into the business. And I know sometimes there could be some, there's positives and there's, you know, challenges as well. But what's that experience like for you? You know, my brother, I'm the youngest of four. So the question is always, how do you, how does youngest of four become CEO of the company? Uh, yeah. My, my response was, well, um, my brother really wanted to focus on having a family. And, okay. You know, he has five kids now, so that's a lot of work. Uh, and my sisters really, they wanted to be involved with the business, but not necessarily lead the business. So, and I, I told my father that I, I, that's what I wanted to do uh, when I graduated college is lead the business. I was interested in necessarily just being a part of the business is leading the business. So, you know, I said you paid for USC, so got to get your money's back somehow, right? Right. Because um, he did he did pay for USC, which was you know at the time now at the time it was a lot a lot of money to put out. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, well, let's see what you pay for, and then that's how we, how, how we approached the opportunity. Now it wasn't I you know graduating USC didn't take over. I was I still I still had a work with underneath him uh, for some some time. Um, and then he he became unfortunately was coming he became ill and he just needed he wanted he wanted to um, he wanted to transition the business uh, b- before he passed because he was concerned that some of his friends have you know family businesses too and then they not, they just pick they picked their oldest son or oldest child and then they they pass they pass and then they don't know what happens. Right. But his logic was I'm gonna I'm gonna see how you do and say you're not doing well or you're struggling then. Make a change. I go, That's fine. I, I I can I can see that. So, it's it's transparent. Now moving forward, you know, we're, I try a bit. We're, we're transparent with our, we, we we I applied you know, corporate structure to our business. So we have standing meetings with my, my siblings, talk about the business, the growth, direction. You know, the talk about the executive team, and those kind of things. So I think communication is important. And good, good or bad communication sometimes is not good, sometimes it's good. And constant feedback. Does it? Does it sometimes when things aren't doing well? Does it put um, awkwardness in, in family life at home? Pro- yes, it does. Yeah, you can't deny that part of it. But you know, we we've you know, if you look at if you just take a step back, we've been working together for over thirty years or more. You know, in that capacity, correct? I mean, come and go. Right. My sister always tells me she's she's like I won't say her age, probably kill me, but she's. <laughs> Yeah, I was for 45 years, and everybody's like looking at her like, how is that possible? And she's like, I started when I was nine. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, that, you know, they're like, okay, they're okay, because you always know, say that. If you put, I've been doing this for 30, 40 years, you're like, you must be 80 years old, but then you start at nine. So we've seen the business grow. I mean, do we all, mm-hmm. do we agree 100% with what we do? No, that's, I think it's not, but we all, we, we, we work together well enough to understand what the direction is, what we want to do. So when we make big, big decisions, it's a family decision. So, yeah. like for example, we're opening two restaurants this year. It's a family decision. Say, w- do we want to do this or not? Because it does put pressure on everything to open. But you know, this business is built for to survive outlast us. That that's the intent. And I don't believe you have a franchise model. I believe all all locations are owned by yeah. by the company. Correct. Yes. Your central commissary is that based probably maybe in L.A. or Orange County, maybe in Corona. the Empire. Is- Corona. 
Yes. Does that have the capacity to scale to more locations? Is that something you're looking to do? I know you have two more upcoming, but expanding further after that. So my dad, uh, my dad started the com- the com- you know commissary model. That's what it's called. I know the com- the word commissary sounds cold, but technically that's it. that's what it is. We actually rebranded yep. it called Mary's Kitchen because when we okay. do tra- training and immersions, we we change the name because. When you hire someone, they, oh, your your immersion is tomorrow at the commissary. Okay, like, where am I going? Like, so, right? You know, and, and and so what? My dad built the first commissary because yet at that time he had four restaurants, and he was like, customer would come to him. Oh, I, I like the food better here. I like the food better here, and he's he's like, well, I need to standardize this because I, I just I I can't have the you know that kind of inconsistency. And then I built the second commissary in 1998, and I built this last one. And so when we every time we build these commissaries, it's it's a it's a capital it's a capital intensive to do this. Sure. And so we're outgrowing our one I built in nineteen ninety eight, and I uh, to my family, okay, if we really want to grow Miguel's, we will we need a new commissary, mm-hmm. and that's gonna be a financial commitment. It's gonna be a capital drain on us for some time, but we need to build it to grow. So the current commissary we're in has capacity to do a hundred stores. I believe you're just in the Inland Empire in Orange County. Would you ever expand into other counties or out into maybe other states in the future? In the near future, no, but yes, long term, yes. So right now we're, we are looking at, we have plans to go into um, obviously Orange County, Riverside County, uh, continue growing there, but we have plans to go to LA County and then, and then San Diego. So LA County, we're, we're going to Upland with our with our commissary. Okay. We can, in theory, we could probably go to. Uh, Nearby state, nearby states. With your concept, is the food that you serve today still the same or a similar menu and same food as when your parents started the business? The core menu, yes. Uh, two proteins. Um, well, actually, just one protein that we have. The chili pork is the original protein. The other proteins have been added over the years. The original restaurant, the one that I managed um, in Corona, has the original proteins still. Uh, but over the years, we added you know, chicken. I know it sounds weird, but we added chicken. You added uh, shredded beef and you know, steak and those kind of things. But over the years, but the original, the original was the pork, and then the Chicharrado beef is the original at the one location. But the beans, gotcha. Recipe, the technique same, taco the same. We did something recently, uh, a cheese crisp that we had forever in the menu. So you know, but yes, nice, and and. When it comes to speed, you mentioned speed and, and you know quick to uh, quick service to your consumer. What is it that that helps you gain that speed? Well, I mean, initially it was just having you know great employees in the back of the house make quick. But I think over time we've we're now we're, we're investing heavy in technology to help mm-hmm. us with speed and help us with uh, ordering in advance. We have a, a a tablet, a tablet person drive through, and those kind of things. So when I was younger, we used to take orders by hand and drive through, and you know, go outside, take orders by hand, and then bring it back to the kitchen and hang a ticket up. Well, we didn't make the same thing with tablets. We have tablets. We have uh, we process payment at the tablet taker at the drive through. Those kind of things. We, now I know that that's there's other brands or technologies using AI and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're too small for that yet. But there, we have the capability to predictive ordering too. Not not yet, but we can turn turn that on. 
So we're, we're, we are definitely investing in technology to help us to for speed and, and accuracy. Uh, sure. We can be fast, but it doesn't mean you're accurate. So we're trying to do both. And we, we just invested in um, labeling, labeler, labels for our food and invested in um, technology and continue to do that. So that, that's how we're able to do that. Do you think AI will play a big part in the restaurant industry in the future? And how would that even look? Well, what I've seen is, is initially just for advanced order placement. You know, for example, you, you it, it knows who you are. You can place the order, you can tell who you are, place the order. You, do a, you have the geofence around it, it beings, and tell, you start making your food, communicates with you back and forth. If you, I mean, I, you know, McDonald's has technology come in, Nick, it, it recognizes your face, it tells you what you were last time. Do you want to repeat this? Yes, and move on. Wow. Our brand, for, our, for our brand, we will get there eventually within a year. Uh, if you join for our loyalty program and you you, you, bring it, you are on your phone and it says this is your last order, is that AI, do you, you want to repeat it? Is that AI, it knows who you are. It'll, tell, it'll, it'll remind you, of, you haven't been to McGill's in a while. Those kind of things. So for a brand our size, we, we have access to that technology. So I, I imagine other brands can do it faster and we can't scale faster. So uh, we're not, we, we don't leave the pack. We just follow, we, we follow the pack and what's going on and see how we can, it can adapt to us. I think what happened, what COVID did is it, it uh, allowed small brands to get access to technology that wasn't necessarily available prior to COVID. A lot of tech companies won't, wouldn't talk to any brand under fifty units, and now uh, changed. Now you know, I, I mean, I'm twenty two units, and they, they, I, I get good service. So obviously, we get next year you get different kinds of platforms, but I get I get same I can get access to technology that Taco Bell has access to. That that, that wasn't really prominent pre pandemic. On the pandemic, do you think that? The pandemic really sped up the rate of innovation on the technology side for restaurants. Oh, of course, I and and then also, it, it, I mean, I was at a conference, you know, probably two three years before a pandemic, and a gentleman stood up and said, "Technology," because this is when you know when um, Amazon was eating up retail left and right, and mm-hmm. retailers went out of business. And, you know, small business owners were like getting wiped out, and you know, all these things were happening. And a, a gentleman stood up and said, "Technology will never affect the restaurant business." I go, "That sounds." Does not sound right. Technology will impact the restaurant business in such a way that we we are now we have customer data that I, I never had before. I can segment my data, cut it, dice it as much as I can. So all that wasn't available to us, or it was available on a spreadsheet. You had to dice and get to it. So I mean, all that's changing so fast. So and then the thing, another thing that happened is that you got a customer a demographic that maybe traditionally wasn't an online order customer. Now they they've been disciplined in order. Now they know how to do it, so that's expanded. So it almost has gone to a point where a customer expects it, and if you don't have it, then you're like something's wrong with you. Like what's wrong with your brand? You don't have so all, like self self our online ordering system is is not very good. We're about to relaunch it um, because we launched it during the pandemic because we it was it was it was necessary and it was okay. But now that every brand has the online order for the most part. And if you don't have it, it's like, what's wrong with you? So I think customers are kind of accustomed to it. And I'm like, I'm a small brand still, you know, but I'm not. But from the customer's perspective, it's your, their, their phone. They want to order online. So we, we are relaunching again. But, yes, that's changed a lot. You know, you got people who traditionally were never an online customer and now are. Right. And so, yeah. 
I, I grew up in Tustin and there was this restaurant off of 17th Street. And this was probably back in around 2005 when Palm Pilots were popular. And I remember you walk into the restaurant and you ordered on a Palm Pilot and then you go sit down and then they'd bring the food out to you. But there was a lot of glitches with the technology at the time and that concept didn't last that long at all. But it's it, it, it's... It was so far ahead of its time. You, you know, I don't think it really had adapted at all with the consumer base. But now there's a lot of that, and you know, kind of what you're alluding to. Correct. I'm a me personally. I'm a 30 year old entrepreneur, and I went to Chapman University. I got I got a business degree from there, and it was a great experience. But I found, you know, between then and uh, now, operating a, a business. That I've had to do continuous learning. Are how have you been able to educate yourself and learn how to do the things that you just talked about? So, a few things. So, um, good and bad. I I been working with my family business for since I was a kid. So that's yeah. and it's bad because you've been working with family since you're a kid. So, how do you educate yourself? How do you push yourself? You know, obviously, I was USC. That was grateful, helpful for the mm-hmm. big 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 step. You started to stop with other business owners. But then how do you continue to educate yourself? So I, I, um, I would be advocate of reading books and learning that way. But mm-hmm. over in 2018, I formed an advisory board. Okay. Um, and advisory board to help me develop my, my skills as, as a leader and, and, and as, as a CEO. Um, I, I know I know, and I know that if I want to grow my business, I had to change how I approach the business, how I manage the business. But like you said, I'm not, I'm not going to, quit my business and go get an MBA or go to go to school because I don't have the time. So the second thing is, is advisory board. I know some business owners have, have joined like companies like Vistage and those kind of things. Um, yeah. But financially, we couldn't afford it at the time. So I did the advisory board. And my advisory board is compo- composed of uh, a, 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 some from the finance world, some from the HR world, a restaurant person. So the restaurant and the third person is, is a CFO person. So I kind of hit all the disciplines that I needed to help and develop and, and that, that. So these helped me differently in different skills. And so that's how I, I, I was able to get to educate myself and then also continuous reading and, and those kind of things. So in our organization, um, the leadership team is required. Well, I, I say required. We, we, we read a book a quarter. Okay. And so, uh, and the leadership team you know, picks a book. So, you know, every quarter and you know, a book club per se. And then depends on the tier of the organization, either it's a senior leadership team and the leadership team is required to do the book. And then if it's something we feel that it, it's, it's, it's worthy, then the general managers also. So we're, we're constantly trying to be we're a learning organization and, and that's what we're trying to do. And that's how we do that. So, some organizations have a lot of training requirements. That's what they do, but we don't have that resource. So we, I go to, to books, which are, I think has been fine so far. Yeah, that's great. The people on your advisory board, you mentioned someone at finance, HR. Are they within the restaurant industry or outside? No, no. Only one restaurant. So one, one person in the restaurant industry and the rest are not. And that, intentionally. It, and what would be the reasoning behind doing that? Uh, you know, finance is finance, correct? You, you have a product, sure. something, your whatever it is, your your business, my business. Where it's all about finding resources and, and money to grow your business. That's that's intent behind that. It, you know, people, 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 people. We're in the people business. So how do you how do you manage people and those kind of things? And the CFO is how do you present 
your financials to a lender or to a third party for, for funding. So that's 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 how I do. It. I mean, the restaurant the restaurant person is you know he's this individual started restaurants groom started groom so he knows the, the how it works and so that that's that's an intent and then you know they each have a, a different perspective on technology how you how you utilize it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. how it was. The board was composed. That's very smart. Um, it's an advisory board is actually something that I've considered for my business and how I'd structure that. I really felt, you know, for really from 2020 since the pandemic, for our business, we're a commission-based business, and let's say we're selling an, an ingredient into your commissary, and your your sales go down, you know, so my commissions naturally go down with it. And we sell into restaurants, casinos, hotels, healthcare accounts, college universities, you name it. But it was in that time where we went through a lot of turmoil, you know, just hanging on, just surviving till now, where I really felt like I started to become an entrepreneur. And now I've, I've gotten to the point where it's, you know, it's, it's time to scale up to the next level. Yeah. And I feel like every time that my business moves up a level, it, it's, it has new challenges. And, I, and I've kind of come to realize what got me to this place that I'm at today won't get me to the next place, to the next level after that. How have you seen yourself evolve over time? Well, the advisory board is great in a way if you listen. And so sure. they, you know, there's has to ask someone to be on the advisory board because at first, the first one I asked is like, I love it, I'll do it, but are you going to listen to me? And go, well, why wouldn't I? He goes, well, I've been on boards where you can tell CEO X, Y, and Z, the CEO does something totally different. And it's a waste of time. So, uh, my they they actually they're surprised how much I actually listen and you know follow through what I'm doing. And their advisory boards they don't work. They don't. They don't it's a choice, correct, by both parties. It's not. It's not a, right. a board where they can, I can be replaced or fired. But the third time, I pay them for it. Some of them, some do it for free, and they it's 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 a resource for me. So and I, then I have to be accountable to that. So. I look at it that way. How to how to develop myself, and I I pose questions. So, I had a very candid conversation with the advisory board. You know, during last year, during the you know, it's like, am I am I cut out for this anymore? And has the business outgrown my skills? And you know, they were very kind of set back because they're like, you're asking us by your own you know skill set. I go, yeah, you you were my advisory board. I I need to be able, I need I need to be to ask questions. I need to be vulnerable. To ask you anything, and your responses, I have to either good or bad. I have to listen to the response and hear it. So, you know, would you, would you, if your advisory board, you know, said uh, your dad's got to go, let's just say hypothetically, how would you respect? How would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, you know, that's the thing. You got to be willing to to do that. So, my my brother was struggling a little bit, and my advisory board said your brother's struggling. And you need to talk to him about this and see how it's doing. And then, you know, my brother said, I can't, I cannot grow as fast as you want me to do it. You've exceeded my, um, my abilities. But that's, that's the purpose of the advisory board is that they have, you have to have the ability, the strength to say, you know, this is changing are changing. So, you know, I, I, mean, I don't know if that ever happened to your dad, but that's, yeah. that's, the, that, that's the risk, the risk or opportunity. Let's take a look at it, what happens. If you really, if you really, if you really, if you really, really want a, a, a good advisory board, if you just want a sounding board, then you know your employees are sound, your, your your team is kind of a sounding board, correct? You know, maybe your wife at home or your dog, but yeah, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's um, you know running a business. I've definitely found really when we first started out, you know, trying to make our first million, uh, first million a year. It was my dad and I. We did everything uh, from going out and selling our clients' products to getting new clients to marketing. I mean, we did everything. And as time has gone on, we've we've replaced ourselves within different departments: marketing, customer service, uh, administrative, sales. You know, because we found other people that are way more qualified than we are to do those jobs, but. I've definitely had the thought that in the future I will take this company as far as I could possibly go. And at that point, my role will change and it will be finding somebody that can take it and uh, to the next level. I might have the vision, but the execution and the know-how to get to the next level is very difficult. Well, you might find yourself, you know, you just, you just need to surround yourself with people that know how to do it and understand training how to do it. And, right. you know, the, so the hands advisory board, correct? So, I mean, people love, you'll find... A good person on the advisory board will actually enjoy the role because they mm-hmm. they want to. And, and sometimes you you say you're 30 years old, you get someone that's in their you know towards the end of their, their end of their careers. They've been through it, right? They've made the mistakes. They did this. They did that. That, that and that's there's value there. And that's that's right. That's why my advisor has some you know people that have they're not close to retiring, but they're close to retiring. They're and they said this. I try this. Done this. Do this. Do this. You know, watch yourself. You're, you're aggressive. You're getting too aggressive right now. Those kind of things. I, I'm curious what what's the structure of your meetings and maybe your cadence as well. How often you meet with what, them? Advisory board. Yes. Uh, twice a year. Twice a year. So and maybe just do, again all day. Yeah. So we do a half um, after first quarter performance, and after the third quarter. Oh, nice. And so I they, like that. They yeah, access so it. You know, I, I had a little rough year, end of the year last year, and they, they you point out some some blind spots I had, and I had to address them. And um, now I, my performance is better, and so now our meeting is in June, and and, and th- 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 there we go. So it's gone to the point where, uh, and then I have um, uh, two. Let me see, one, two of the board members. I have monthly calls with them. Okay. So that's, that's another, probably. So it depends on, on the need too. In a way, you know, especially those monthly people, almost seems like maybe a business coach uh, or even a mentorship, uh, which is, you know, when I talk to a lot of successful people, it's they have mentors or coaches uh, or you know even an advisory board along the way that helps them get to where they are. So I've explored the so the advisory board is one thing, and I've explored the coach, and I, you know I am exploring hiring a coach myself because I, I I too have I think I have limitations and there as a coach so. If you think about it, you know, if you play sports, if you do anything in life, you always have a coach, right? And then yeah, that's when, true. You come, when you become a CEO, it's all your stuff, you're, you're by yourself. Well, who's your coach then? Yes, your advisory board is there, mm-hmm. but who's coaching you to your skills and your things? And so I, I feel, even especially you're, you're 30, you have a coach, then who, you're just, the only person is going to set yourself back is yourself. That's right. You know, if, and so I, the coach idea was presented to me because I have a uh, one of the advisory board members. His coach is my 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 one of the advisory board members. His his excel has been this tremendously. I mean, over the years, and I asked him, you know, what's his success? He's like, I have a coach. I go, we mean you have a coach. You know, a lot. He's like, no, yeah. but I have a coach. Like, and the coach is a coach. Calls you out, makes you do homework. Makes you, I got homework to do. He call, you know, does, you know, you know, he holds me accountable, which is 
you know, a lot of CEOs don't want to, maybe don't want to be held accountable, but he holds me accountable and pushes me to the next level. So if I, you know, he said, if I have a problem with my, my VP or something like that, we'll have a session with my coach. And it's it's different. And so it's 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 different than an advisory board. And so I'm exploring. I did I you know interview a few. Financially, it's a little, we're a little tired right now, so I'm not gonna, I'm gonna hold up. But I definitely will get a coach eventually. And I would a mentor. You know, it's funny the mentor coach. It's a paid mentor, a paid coach is different than someone that you can call and shoot the shit with. You know, sorry or shoot. The no, you're good. A, met, a, a paid person is you're paying it. It's like going. It's like hiring a trainer. You can mm-hmm. train it, correct? Only only benefit if a trainer if you actually participate. Same thing with the coach. You, if you pay someone, they're going to hold you accountable. If you don't want to hold accountable, then you're wasting your money. Yeah. And so if you if you can click on it, and my my coach I interviewed is not in the restaurant industry. I I did not want a coach in the restaurant industry. I want someone that has a business acumen that can develop my skills as CEO that I can transfer. You know. I think, you know, uh, well, I saw a product, right? You saw a product. We all saw products. So why mm-hmm. is the restaurant industry specific? It doesn't have to be. Yeah. It's just a person to help you develop your acting as a CEO because unless you, you, you quit your job today and go work with someone else, how are you going to learn? That's right. And so that, that's what that's I, right. I, uh, I tell myself that. How did you find this business coach to interview? Well, it's, it, it's, it's my, my advisory board. So advisory, the advisory board has ah. two purposes. It give you advice, correct? Wait. And yeah. also help you find people. That's their that's their goal. If if they're help if they're really intention if their best intentions help you develop as a CEO of a company or as a president, they should help they sh- they should have resources for you also, not just their mind and say, Oh, try this, call here, try this person. So that's the other thing is when you when you do if you do decide for a uh, foreign advisory board, form people that have contacts or resources. And with nowadays with even with you know being remote, they don't have to be in the same city, the same country, same state. You do; they can be elsewhere. They, they can be far away. And you know, because my, my advisory board uh, is he—he—he he, he is from California, but he lives in Southern California. I'm uh, sorry, uh, South Carolina now. So he'll fly out, but you know, for budget constraints, we'll do a Zoom too. Right. You know, I, I think that's the, that the the pandemic has definitely changed the world in that world too. The capacity you don't have to have a in person. It's not yes, in person is great. Don't get me wrong, but you know nowadays it's jump on a call with Zoom and and, and do it, and then they appreciate it too because they're not far out of the country. But they should have a resource for you too. Say hey, I'm looking for a coach. Then they say here's here's a couple people I would talk to, and that, mm-hmm. that that's the other thing about you board. They should give you resources to learn. Uh, you know, I've taken seminars to them. Hey, you should try go to this conference. This is helpful for you. I was at a leadership conference in um, in UCLA that you know, I was told to go because my advisory board invited me to that conference and it was, it was great. So that's the, that's the other thing. You, they, yes, talk about your business, talk about what's going on in your business, but also as a resource for opportunities outside your business. That's why I didn't want five restaurant people on my board. Cause right. We all talk the same, you know. How, how think outside the box sometimes is more important than thinking about building the box. Yeah, that totally, that definitely resonates with me for sure. And I think it's important to do that to think outside the box. Switching gears a little bit, when you started as the store manager when you were fourteen, you had four locations. Now you're up to twenty-two. What was there? What was the process to go from four to twenty-two? First, we had to standardize our. So, my parents, you know. Based their business success, their business on cash flow. If they have okay. money in the bank, they make, they make, they make money. And so, 
when I graduated college, I, you know, I was, you know, I grew the, you know, obviously four restaurants and worked in restaurants, but, you know, I, I knew the financials were, there were no financials. It's just checking in, money out, money in. Yeah. And I grew, um, when I graduated, I go, Dad, we need a, a balance sheet. He's like, what's a balance sheet? Go, He's, you know, we need this, we need this. And, you know, the, t- the time he had a bookkeeper working for him and, you know, I go, Dad, she's not qualified to do this, to grow. I was told, if you want to grow, so we had to standardize our operation. So we had to replace some of the people working for us, uh, not in, externally. And then, and then what I did, I did that first, uh, um, got financials, you know, in a way where they're presentable to a, a lender. And then I, I also um, rebranded the company. Okay. I told my dad, you know, my family, look, if we're trying to compete with national brands or regional brands and a landlord or developers and look at us and say, who are these people? You know, great food, but look at the, they're, they're kind of all over the place. I mean, my dad had like five logos. He, he, didn't, care, he didn't think, he didn't care. He didn't think that it was a big deal. Yeah. So he just had logos. So we, I did that. And then, and so I started formalizing, formalizing that. And then once I, that's all settled, then we started going to the uh, time to uh, the SBA and those kind of things. Cause again, you know, my dad didn't have, wasn't skilled in the sense of, uh, of attracting debt, having gained debt. His debt came from individuals, or he would always uh, mortgage his house. I mean, all the time. That's his thing, you know, mm-hmm. take out, mortgage his house, mortgage his house. So I said, well, we can't grow that way either. So we, we started working with lenders in the SBA. And the SBA, as you know, is a great program for small business owners. I, 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 I encourage people all the time to still use them. They're, it's, it's, a little, it's a lot of work. But it's it's worth the effort if sure. you, you can do it. And we outgrew the SBA, but you know now you know, so we're actually trying to raise debt again as we as we speak. But it, restaurant business is hard to raise money for. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. It, is your equity is it 100 percent family owned, or do you, have you given equity to outside partners too? It's 100 percent family owned. Wow. I mean that's. That's a true testament to a business. I mean, you started in 1973 till today. I, you know, what is that? 50 years. Yes, uh, that is an impressive. Fe- 50 years this year, I would imagine. Yes, this year, yes. And that that is an impressive feat. And there's only a few people on the planet who can say that they've been able to accomplish that. Accomplish that. So, congratulations to you and your family. I mean, that is uh, that's significant. Thank you. I. I remember it was years ago when you opened up your Tustin Marketplace location. I started to see, I, I started to see your concepts pop up more often. I, it felt like it was all like at one time. I don't know if that was on purpose or if you had a growth plan. It, that's when those started coming out. But I've definitely, it, I, I definitely really enjoyed your concept, and it's unique and it's different from what you see out in the marketplace. And I think that's probably what makes you so such a popular concept and and so successful too. Thank you. I know the growth was, you know, we went through spurts. We, you know, obviously we were growing and then uh, in 2019, then, you know, obviously the pandemic then we stopped. So we're back when growth, growth came again. And what's, and what's, what we learned during the pandemic is we're, you know, we're a convenient business. On, everybody's on the go now. So we were building these large restaurants that, that we don't need to build anymore. So our new prototype is only, well, we haven't built a new prototype yet, but the new prototype we designed uh, during the pandemic was is twenty five hundred square feet. We're building three thousand square foot restaurants. So one of our consulting teams that we worked with that does a lot of consulting for drive companies, 
during the pandemic, they obviously lost a lot of clients. So they didn't have a lot of business, per se. And um, they're located in California, and they do a lot of work for you know, national brands and drive-through development and whatnot. And he said, hey, if you, if you pay me, I mean, you know, with some money, I have, no, I have nothing to do. I, I'd love to work for you guys on this project. So we developed a prototype during the pandemic. And we actually had it built and everything. Um, in the restaurant we closed, we actually turned it into a test kitchen. Test kitchen, and so we built it inside there. And and we've we've come to to find out we don't need to have these big restaurants, so we, we can be more lean and more efficient. Again, this mm-hmm. we were going that in that direction anyways, was because people were using us less and less for dining experience, and we're, our takeout was growing. So even today, you drive through takeout three PD. You know, all that combined is eighty five percent of our business leaves leaves a leaves a building. So mm-hmm. we don't need these big restaurants anymore and, and whatnot. So we we designed it for attention of more convenient. We designed it for uh, also for ease easier for employees and, and make things simple. Have you ever opened a location and it you had to shut it down? It didn't make it. We never opened because it shut it down. Well, we have one. Well, one full case. Okay, so let me, we have two concepts: Miguel's restaurants and Miguel's Junior. Miguel's restaurants, mm-hmm. we closed one during the pandemic. We closed both in the pandemic and we reopened one. So that's when we, we, we don't think we're, we don't think we're reopening it again. Um, we have a couple, a couple of rest, Miguel's juniors that are, they did okay, but we won't close them. They did okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, cause I would imagine that's, you know, it's, it's difficult. You put your heart and soul into each one of these locations and sure, I think. There's and just in general, just anything in life, some will do better than others, and you know you never want to go through that. Have you ever? What are some of the the bigger obstacles or barriers that you've had to overcome in your career? Well, I think the one you know, obviously, my my dad passed was very difficult because of being a founder yeah. of an organization. You know, it's, it's a, you know, I mean, we all we all experience it, unfortunately, at some point in our lives, but yeah. it's a little different when you work with someone differently because he taught me. My dad taught me a lot about the business. It taught me a lot about construction and those kind of things. So I've I've learned how to build. I built most of our restaurants. Uh, I'm not very good at it myself. He, my dad will always make fun of me because I can I can't build. I can never build it myself. I know how to do it. I know how to do it in theory. I can give some instructions, right. but I can't do it. So th- that's always that was always difficult. That's difficult, and you know. But yeah. the difficult, you know, is is running a family business is difficult also. But it has good and bad, and then you know, trying just trying to keep and understand how to how to continue the culture as you grow your business. I can grow fast, probably, but I will definitely lose the culture because you know it's it's a balance in that maintaining the culture, maintaining the family vibe, the family environment, the culture, those kind of things, and growing. So, you know, we have employees that worked for us a long time, and, and you know, they have said, "Oh, things have changed. Things are different." I go, "Well, yes, naturally, things are different. Things have changed." It's just part of the thing the way things work, you know. We, we just the natural. So we try to stay core, choose our core, our core fundamentals, our food, the culture. But how do you duplicate that, and how do you duplicate over and over? That that's probably the most difficult thing to do. Building restaurants, I, I'm saying it's easy. It's very difficult to build a restaurant. Oh yeah. But I, I would tell people that's the easy part. The hard part is now opening the doors and having the culture and the customers come in. And feel that. So when you ask me some of the failures, is that when, when we didn't do a good job with the culture in the stores, mm-hmm. and customers come and say, "Well, that Miguel's sucks," because blah blah blah. You know, I like this one better. I like this one better. And it's, to this day, that still exists to some levels. But mm-hmm. 
how to get a culture to duplicate it and grow and ingrain, you know, when I hire that, we have 675 employees. So when I hire that 677 employee, how they get the culture from their first employee. In our industry, you know, we, we have a low turnover. So it's common in our industry to have 140 plus turnover. So mm-hmm. just do the math. You know, that's a lot of turnover every year. It is. We're we're at sixty percent turnover, so wow. we have we have we have something going for us, right? We have good culture, good things. So how do you maintain that? You know, it, during the pandemic, it creeped up to one hundred and ten, but now we're back to sixty. And so uh, there's a, that that's a testament to our culture, correct? I think that's what that ultimately mm-hmm. what it is. I mean, we 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 pay our pay is great, but there's competitors that pay more than us. You know. Um, we do a lot of things, a lot of benefits, but from you know, if it's just if you're looking at just a paycheck, you can you can, you can get that from any competitor down the street for the most part from, from higher than we do. But when it comes to culture, we, we that's one thing we, we wanna that that's our competitive advantage and so we wanna keep that and maintain that. So I, I tell I tell people, you know, what's the job of the CEO of this company? It's to protect the brand and and, and the culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, very well said. I, when my dad and I, when we first started, after about a year being in business, we had uh, a couple, two or three employees, and we started to build the culture how we wanted. Sure, it's on a very micro scale, but we acquired another competitor of ours, and they had six employees, and we brought them over, and our culture had overnight changed. Our growth had definitely uh, skyrocketed from where we were. We weren't very high anyway, so anything additional would, was a lot at the time. And But our culture definitely shifted and it took a while to undo uh, kind of those negative cultural traits that we didn't want to have in the business. And so we said, when we mo- open up other marketplaces, like we went over to no- Northern California, Nevada, and soon to be in in Hawaii, it's we want to grow it organically. It's a little bit slower, might be more cost uh, more costly than going and buying somebody, but we want to build the culture our way. So I can definitely commend you on on doing that. Was was Hawaii a, uh, a office or a, a condo that happens to be? <laughs> no, it, to be it, office. <laughs> it, it'll be an office for us out there, and uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a much different environment out there in terms of the broker. Um, yeah environment and we we found that there's opportunity there it's a different way of doing business just like california versus nevada yeah, there I there are it. differences but yeah it'll be a new office for us for sure when i opened uh costa mesa you're like oh you just want to be close to the beach I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure yeah um you know but one thing we uh, so you know to grow your business you have to hire outsiders correct that's just right yeah you, know, you can you have people that homegrown we have a lot but really sometimes you have to hire that experience and we do depends on the position it's a four two week to a six week immersion and the immersion is intended to get them ingrained in the culture because i know sometimes companies will have it like a two week process week week and they say okay you know so like for example i hired a director of training uh mm-hmm. from a competitor recently and his first six weeks was in the field and he had no phone and no no laptop so he had no email from he had no no official email and no phone and i go wow. you your job is not to work your job is to learn the culture because I, what i don't want you to do is come work for miguel's take the job and then a week later come to me with some ideas that aren't going to work in our culture 
So your job is to work with the culture, work with the people, get to know the people, then then come and you know it's it's they some they're not used to that they they come from not big brands where maybe they say it's a week or two weeks or, or a day or twenty four hours or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously, you have this. You're a director of change, so you have the skill. That's I'm not questioning your skill. Yeah, I want you to spend time in different markets, different people. That way, when you develop programs, you know you're, you're developing it for. And so, you know, at first, it's some people are taken aback by it, and some people are like, "Oh, wow, this is you guys are I really you know do that." So we we put our money where our mouth's at. So, for example, a general manager who comes from outside is the training is eight weeks. Wow. And so we we we're definitely, um, and I think that's too. I think that's not enough time, but we can't we yeah. can't afford it. But I think it should be longer than that. But for now, it's so it depends on the level too. So it's even. We hired a um, intern, for example, started today. He, he had to work in the restaurants for two weeks. That is a that's a cool idea. There's so many businesses out there. There's no training. You you know maybe it's a a, a one day. Here's who we are, and go out and sell and or do whatever the the job is, and good luck. And it, it it's selling yourself short as a company, and then also for the employee as well. And it. it you know, when we first started, that was definitely our our motto: is we don't have the infrastructure to train anybody. You know, hopefully you can train us, and you know, just put them out in the field. And and sometimes they, or a lot of times, it it didn't work out, or it took a long time for them to get up to speed for what we originally, you know, thought that the role would be. And we, and, we, and, we, and the reason why we, the reason why we hired director of training because our our our. Um, Hourly employees training is, is, is was was designed as follow me, mm-hmm. and you're a millennial. I can now hold it against you. Follow me doesn't yeah. work well with men, millennials. You have to explain That's to right. them why you want to do it, why it makes sense, and then if you explain the why and then the purpose, it then they'll do it. If you just say do it, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our training was based on follow me and you'll learn. And we, that we're, we were struggling with that, and that's so why I said we need we need a different approach. We need someone that has the technical skills to to develop training programs that have the why behind it in, ingrained in the program, not just do it and get it done. Because those days are over. You know, those days mm-hmm. have, are long gone. If you really want to grow your business and get to act, activate the current workforce, you have to explain to them what the reason why they would do it, and if they understand it. They buy into it. They're very good employees. So I, I know there's a lot of you know misconceptions about millennials, and my conception is that it's it's a two way street. The companies are not they're not adapting their training for millennials, and millennials aren't going aren't to adapt to the old school training. Mm-hmm. So you know those are just two things that will not connect if if you don't change it. So I we find out once you explain why and to do it and understand it, then they do it. Correct. Wherever, wherever the task is, clean tables, paying cashiers, all those things, and then they actually appreciate it versus just you know doing that. So it's it was it's, it was hard to get here, but we're here now. And and there in mind, that's why we hired director of training because he comes from a background of of, of ingraining that in his training programs. What advice would you give to uh, a young person? You know, maybe someone coming out of USC who's hungry, who's motivated who wants to be in a position like yours in the future, what advice would you give to that person? Uh, be open to learn and be open, be open to learn, open to feedback, you know, constant feedback and, 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 uh, 
work for a company that is aligned with your value structure. If you value certain things and work for that company that has same values, because if you don't do that, you're you're ultimately going to be unhappy. Right. And you know, if 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 mo- if money is or monetary compensation is only motivation, then find a company that does that. There, there are companies that, that that are good at that. That they're they're there to drive the business, drive money. If you want if you want a company that's purpose purpose driven company, find a purpose driven company. But you know, do you have your values set up when you're 23 years old out of college? Probably not. But yeah. you know, you have a good range. You have I have a good understanding. I think motivation is just pay, just yeah. make money and pay rent, correct, and and, and get there. But you know, you know, like I said, if you if you want to work for a company that are, like we do, why you do it? Explain to you what's going on. That's you want that kind of company. You got to find that company. You got to you got to do some research to find it. You know, and, and work for that kind of company. When I graduated from college, you know, most of my a lot of my a lot of my, uh, my peers were friends were getting jobs at uh, Enterprise Rental Car. Uh, I don't know about it. what back then. Enterprise was a premier training was a premier company to get training at. Because you, if you if you got trained in enterprise, you can use that training and go elsewhere. Uh, I, I'm sure that's changed. I, I imagine, but you know, but a lot of them were miserable because they didn't align with the culture. So you know, I I, I look back and I tell my, my niece and nephews the same thing: find a company that aligns with your culture and value structure, then you'd be happy. Now maybe you'll make all the money you want, but you'll be happy. So you got you got to balance that. All right, we had some internet connection issues and. So we had to cut the episode short a little bit, but wanted to say thank you everyone for following along and listening. What a great story uh, Javier, him and his family have built. Very successful CEO. And I'm sure the sky is the limit for what he and what his family can accomplish in the future. So really appreciative for having Javier join us. And stay tuned. More episodes to come. We do an episode every week. Please take a moment and subscribe to our channel. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and all, anywhere where you can find podcasts, that's where we are. So please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and we appreciate you so much. That's all. Thanks so much. Thanks.